<laughs> Amen. Amen. We'll see what you think at the end. <laughs> but I like the hopeful beginning. No, it's wonderful to be here. I've heard amazing things about your church and then came and wanted to see for myself, and it's true. So I'm very, very uh, excited to be here with you, beloved, beautiful people of God. We're talking about the Psalms, and Reese told me he wanted me to talk about the Psalms. I was like, that's a fascinating thing. That's not often the thing people want you to preach about, the Psalms, because they're kind of hard. <laughs> it's hard to preach a song, because they're already songs. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so I was like, oh, that's interesting. I mean, I pray the Psalms. Don't worry, I've read them. But like, you know, that's not, that's like, I'm like, oh, I, I remembered a time in my life where I realized the Psalms were like important. And it was uh, years ago, I moved into this drug addicted community, like this really like bad, uh, like just hard place with my newborn son and my husband. And we really felt God was saying, just be present here. And in that place, lots of drug addiction and all the things you can imagine, poverty, mental illness, all the stuff, all sort of concentrated in this one area. And I remember we, we started this mission training school. And so I had been teaching this class to this mission training. And we we're trying to teach people how to like love like Jesus and act like Jesus. You know, it's not a bad idea. And, um, and I was just waxing eloquent, you know, how you can do when you're like, if you get caught monologuing, uh, you know, you can, you, I, I was just like, Jesus didn't, like he just didn't recognize social barriers, the way that we set up boundaries today, the way we set up, he just crossed all of those, you know? And I was, I was, do, I was using the illustration of Zacchaeus. If you know, Zacchaeus is like, uh, this terrible tax collector guy everybody hated. And Jesus looks up, he's like up in a tree because he can't see. And he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for tea. You know, and I just kept using that like, like I'm coming to your house for tea. And, and I'm like, see, he doesn't know. Like he's the bad guy in the story is Zacchaeus. And Jesus is like, I'm coming here. And he, he just doesn't, and anyway, I do all this and I leave them with an assignment. I'm walking home a couple blocks to my apartment. And as I'm walking, there's this guy and the guy is kind of a bad guy. I'm not saying he's born bad or anything like that. He's like born in the image, fearfully, wonderfully made, but he's like, you know, pushing the boundaries of bad, right? He's drug dealing. He's like all these, anyways, all these things. And he literally steps in front of me. And guys, I can't make this stuff up, okay? Like even if I had an act of imagination, I can't do this. He steps in front of me. He looks at me and he goes, will you come to my room for a cup of tea? <laughs> And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, no, a thousand times, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm not naive, you know what I'm saying? I'm not simple, I wasn't born yesterday. I've lived in this neighborhood for a while. Like, the answer is no. Like, I'm not coming to your slum rooming house where all your drugs are. Like, I'm no, the answer is no. And also, like, there's all kinds of other barriers too, right? Like, this probably isn't safe. It's not a good idea. So all that my mother's voice is like, no, honey, no. And, uh, but Jesus is like, Right, I just preach that, don't you hate it when you preach and then you have to live <laughs> what you just, I mean, it's so annoying. It's like theology's not hard. You know, that's not, that's beautiful work. Like the idea of God is fantastic, but the practice, my word, that's hard, you know. So I literally am like, yes, I'll come to your house for tea. Cause I literally just said, that's what Jesus does. So I go to this guy's house for tea and it's like, I thought it's like, it's, I can't even describe it to you, but I find this little like place that's not filled with uh, needles. And I just sit on like the edge of his bed Again, bed, only place to sit, unsafe, unsafe, run from the room. And there's stuff on the walls I don't want to look at, so I'm trying not to look at it. And he starts heating up this, like on a hot pot, you know, he starts heating up and he's got these, he's rummaging around for cups and he's only got these two old styrofoam cups. 
I'm like, yeah, that's perfect. Uh, <laughs> Pepsi's not a problem in this neighborhood. <laughs> so anyway, this is all happening. And he's like, well, what are you doing? So I'm telling, I, I'm like, oh, I was just teaching about Jesus and how he has no boundaries. Um, <laughs> And anyway, this guy goes, oh, he said, I got a Bible. I got a Bible. Let me look for it. So he starts scrounging around and sure enough, beside the crack pipe, there's a Bible. And he, he picks up the Bible. He opens it. I'll never, I'll never forget. This is so funny. He picks up the Bible. He opens it. He goes, oh, and I, realized, I looked and like most of the Bible's gone. Like all the pages are gone. And he goes, oh yeah, I think I smoked most of this. <laughs> so that's when I learned that the pages of a Bible are, for the most part, are fantastic for joints. <laughs> like the paper is just perfect burning potential. So, but then he said, <laughs> you guys are like, what is happening right now? It's gonna be okay. So, um, but then he goes, oh, but don't worry. He goes, don't worry, don't worry. I didn't touch the Psalms. He looked at me, he goes, you can't smoke those. You can smoke the entire Old Testament and you can smoke Jesus, but you can't touch the Psalms? I said, why can't you touch the Psalm? He goes, you know, I can't get out of my mind. He said, I just remember watching my mom, who's a believer, on her knees, reciting the Psalms, crying out to God, praying for me. You know, Bono was once asked why he didn't become a preacher because he's always preaching at people. <laughs> and he said, you know, I actually thought about it. He said, preachers, even the best ones, they preach a really good word. It might really matter for a while. Maybe even somebody might rewatch it to, you know, to do it again, to listen to it again. But he said, a song, when a song gets on the inside of you, yeah. never stops teaching. Yeah. The Psalms are a song that are meant to get on the inside of you so that they never stop teaching. So the Psalms, what about them? Psalm three is the one I really wanna just have a look at really quickly this morning. Just try to see what it is in that Psalm that could help get on the inside of us so it could keep teaching us, keep teaching us, keep teaching us. Psalm three is a Psalm of David. David wrote a lot of the Psalms, not all of them, but a lot of them. This is what Psalm 3 says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I cry out to God, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. <laughs> He's aggressive, huh? From the Lord comes deliverance, and may your blessing be on your people. Listen, four, five, and six, those verses have a line that I just want to emphasize. It might help us understand what's happening here. First of all, verse four is this, I cry out. Now, before I get to that, I just need to give some context to when David wrote the psalm. So in your Bible, you might see this. Sometimes it has the context of the song because that matters. Context matters. When was the song written and why was it written? That stuff matters. And it says this was written by David when he was on the run being attacked by Absalom. 
Now, in case you don't know this, Absalom is David's son. So David is being attacked by his own son. He has been driven out of his kingdom. As a matter of fact, there's like a lot of stuff going on in this story, a lot of humiliation that David is suffering in this moment. But I need to let you know this. It's his own fault. Now, we never approach a lot of people what we like to do with leaders, especially like iconic leaders like David is just like, David, the Lord's anointed. You know, David, a man after God's own heart. Those are all true. Also, David, a terrible father. David, a really bad husband. Like, honestly, he's not husband material. If there's a girl in the play, like, that's a thing. <laughs> Pay attention. Good medieval king. Terrible husband. Really bad dad. I mean, honestly, there are so many broken patterns in his life. Has anyone ever had this happen to you where you're like, oh, hello, it's the consequences of my own decision? <laughs> anyone, anyone? This is the context of the psalm. This is not like David being attacked by, you know, an unrighteous, like I'm not saying Absalom should have attacked his dad. That's also bad. Hello, men, get it together. But that's just a free advice. But it's his own fault. And the reason why that's important is because sometimes we create these worthy and unworthy categories in our lives. These worthy categories where we feel like we're being attacked by somebody else. We're like, God, help us. Like, come to our aid. Like, God, please. Like, but these unworthy categories, the things that we do that are our own fault, decisions we made that bear those consequences, this is the stuff where we're just like, I got to get it together. This is the place where we think God is like, well, you made the bed, like you got to lie in it. You know, like we bring all this kind of like shame and self-loathing and like, I got to get it together and I got to make these decisions, even though actually you can't, you can't. And so like, this is the context that David's in. This is the result of his own stupidity, his own sin, his own broken behaviors, his own unwillingness to be reconciled to his own son. This is the inevitable consequences of his own actions. And it's in that place that David cries out. Right there. I cry out. In the Psalm, no wonder it says everyone's saying God's not gonna help him. No wonder. I mean, I'd, I'd be like, too bad for you, buddy. No, in that place. And this is the deal. Sometimes when we're trying to find purpose, we're trying to find hope in places, we kind of believe this idea that hope is just happy, that hope is just like optimistic, that hope is like presenting our best selves or willing ourselves to be happy. If we just recite it long enough, if we just get positive about the situation, if we just spin it a little bit, we'll be okay. But hope is never happy. It's always honest. Real hope is always honest. The reason why God calls David a man after his own heart is not because of his behavior, but it's because of his, his willingness to be real. He is at least authentic. Could we get honest? I cry out that I can't do this. You know, Matthew 5, when Jesus is saying like how to enter into the kingdom of heaven, he kind of boils down his teaching into these things called the Beatitudes. And the first one is this, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Eugene Peterson puts it like this, blessed are you when you get to the end of your rope. Or I like to put it like this, blessed are you when you get to the end of yourself. I can't. I need help. I can't 
do this. I remember a friend of mine, I used to play basketball in a women's basketball league. Not a big one, <laughs> but uh, just in case. <laughs> and um, anyway, she, she was pretty good. We were on the same team together. She was a councilwoman for the city and I was running the stuff for these, uh, after school stuff for these kids. And I needed a fundraiser. I said, I wonder if you could come help me fundraise for this project. So she came over to have a look at it and she's like, oh yeah, this looks amazing. I'd love to help you, but I just need to be super clear with you, Danielle. I think religion is for the weak. And I said to her, great, I'm glad you understand it. <laughs> and then she went away and then she furiously emailed me afterwards. She goes, I wasn't I, like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to come across rude. Like I wasn't calling you weak. Um, and then I wrote back to her and I said, no, like nailed it. <laughs> got me. Like I, I, it's not me. I can't do this too hard for me, like I'm the weakest of them, as the Apostle Paul liked to say. Not to be grandiose, but to be authentic, to be honest. I can't, I got there, I got to the end of myself quick. Praise God. I got there quick, end of my rope, end of myself. I can't. Uh, it, it, and, but the back and forth this went. You know, she just couldn't figure it out. She came from this high power lawyer family who just could. You know, that was just, she just could. And weakness was like the, you know, the enemy of her life. And I remember she calling me up one day going, I need to meet you for coffee. We met in a coffee shop and we sat down. I said, what is it? And she just said, I'm so weak. <laughs> I said, welcome. Welcome to the kingdom of God. That's the way in. That's how we get, you wanna connect with God, connect with meaning, get honest, get real. You know, what are we all, the black knight of Monty Python, right? It's just a flesh wound, it's nothing. It's just a flesh wound, it's just a flesh wound until we die. Just get real. If you wanna connect with God, if you wanna get a song of heaven on the inside of you, at least get honest. Oh, the next verse, it says he lies down. Oh, this is one of my favorite verses because it's kind of comical in a way, right? Like he's like surrounded by tens of thousands of enemies on all sides. It's not figurative, it's real. There's an army out and he's hiding in a cave and David's strategy is to have a nap. It's good, right? David's strategy is just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lie down here. I don't, I don't think it's a voidism. I don't think he's escaping. I think what he's doing is is trusting. I think he's posturing himself in such a way that he's saying like, not only can I not do this myself, I'm gonna actually give myself over to someone who could do something about my situation. You know, that, that posture of surrender is actually a power posture in the kingdom of God. If you know anything about recovery at all, if you ever journey with people through like that oppression of addiction, they'll be like, I came to the end of my, I came to realize that I was powerless. I did not have what it took to get myself out of this predicament, even though it was the consequences of my own actions. I can't do it. But I came to believe that there was a power greater than me who might help me. And actually when I discovered that that power is like Jesus, which is loving and graceful and kind and good and life-giving, I could actually trust myself over to the care of that power, to the care of that one. I mean, wow, I lied down and sleep. When the original audience was listening to this psalm, they would have been reminded of a prophet named Elijah who had a, a situation on Mount Carmel, which as a kid I used to think was Mount Carmel. And I was like, where is that mountain? 
I gotta find it. <laughs> anyway, on Mount Carmel, uh, he has this big standoff with this false god, Baal. And he has this big stand and fire comes from heaven and he does all this thing. And then he's like number one enemy of this uh, terrible queen named Jezebel who's hunting him down now and he's on the hunt. And then he, he takes like a long time to get to the wilderness. He's running for his life and he gets to the wilderness and he kind of collapses. And he says, literally his response is like, I just want to die now. After a victory. I, like, I just want to die now. And God, by his mercy, sends angels and says, yeah, you should have a nap. Yeah. I mean, literally, he sleeps. And then the angels wake him up and they just give him some bread. Yeah. They just feed him bread. That's definitely like carbs are from heaven if you needed any extra. <laughs> it's just all over the Bible, like carbs are from heaven. Um, so gives him some bread and then says like, go back to sleep. Yeah. Have a nap. Like rest. Lay down. And I, I, was, I was trying to uh, think of an image that might help you. And, and, and the one that came to me is me trying to teach my youngest son how to swim, how to float particularly. So before you can swim, you got to float, right? And he was like, I remember we're borrowing our neighbor's pool. So I get into the pool and this guy's like five years old, but he's like a tank. So he's not like, it's not good floating material. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> I float easy, but like, he's like a solid guy. And so he's just like, okay, how do I do it? And he's like trying to float. And I remember just like shouting these instructions at him, like, stop trying. <laughs> like do less, like just lay back. Like make yourself as light as possible. <laughs> like, and then he'd be like, okay, okay, to be trying. And then he would sink and I'd be like, stop trying. Stop trying. I mean, like, if someone was listening to this, you know, from my neighbor listening to this going like, what is she trying to tell her kid to do? Like, stop trying so hard. The try, you know, the more you try, the worse this is going to get for you. Just give yourself over to the water to support you. Let yourself relax in this, in this water. And I was like, this is what David is doing. I lie down, I give myself over, I relax into the care of the one who cares for me. Well, you know, when we get into these situations, I don't know about you, but for me, when I get into these situations, I'm pretty, I gotta try, like I'm trying and I'm anxious and I get, I'm, I'm rehearsing things, I'm like, I'm shaming, I'm in like a self-shame storm, you know, like all these things are happening and I just feel like God going like, just try less. Just trust more. Just relax. Just let go and relax into the love that I have for you, the presence of who I am. I, I use this little thing with my, my kids. It might be helpful to you, just a little code. It's called HALT. If you haven't heard of this before, it just stands for, like HALT is like stop, and then it's hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It's just a checklist. When our behavior gets a little bit nuts, when our thought life gets a little bit nuts, when our anxieties ramp up, when our like, you know, my first response to somebody is like, and I like jump, you know, bite their head off. I'm like, oh, that's probably not my best self speaking, right? That's probably not like the, hey, Jesus is Lord thing that we're going for here. What's happening? And sometimes we spend a lot of time making this like super complicated, but sometimes we're just hungry. Sometimes we're just angry. Sometimes we're lonely. Sometimes we're tired. One of the things that makes the Psalms such a precious book that you should never smoke. 
is that they're filled with emotion. You know, and this is, you know, interestingly enough, the way that sometimes we talk about our faith is very rational. It's very rational, but the Psalms are not rational. There's so many songs that just don't even make sense, actually, except on another level. On an intuitive, felt, emotional level. They're angry. They're disappointed. They're, they're, oh, they're, they're full of, like, concerns. They're full with worry. They're, they're filled with anger. I mean, there are psalms that are so filled with rage. I'm like, I don't know if you should read that one. There is. There's a whole predatory like category of psalms that are just David going like, smash my enemies to bits. And you're just like, David, dude, calm it down. But they're not really, he doesn't really, they're, they're, they're what he's feeling. And one of the things that David is known for, which makes him the man after God's own heart, is that he connected with God. Because God connects with people who are honest and who are real and who are real human beings. We don't become faith robots who just follow logical conclusions. We're humans. And God knows we're human because he actually entered into our humanity. He knows what it feels like. I mean, read the life of Jesus. He's filled with emotion. He's weeping, he's crying, he's angry, he's emotive, man. I remember going to a, a preschool with one of my sons and we were singing, if, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You sing that when you were, I'm dating myself. But, and then when I was a kid, I learned if you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet, right? And then if you're happy and you know it, shout amen. And I was at this, at this preschool, amen. And um, I was at this preschool and they started singing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. I was like... And then they're like, if you're angry and you know it, stomp your feet. And I was like, what? And then they're like, you know, if you're excited and you know it, shout, you know. And I'm just like, what? If you're angry and you know, I was like, I learned my whole life that I only had one emotion. I was only allowed to be happy. And every, every expression was happiness. If I'm happy and I know it, stomp my feet? What? And I remember my mind just going, Poof. you could be angry, you could be excited, you could be disappointed, you could be filled with sorrow, you could be asking genuine questions filled with doubt and tension and fear, and it would connect with God. You are human, man. That's what God likes about you. And if you want a song to get on the inside of you, if you want faith to get on the inside of you, if you want God to be on the inside of you, then be real and then relax into God. Relax into the one who's big enough to take it, who knows what it's like to be surrounded, who knows what it's like to look like defeat, but actually the presence of God is its own victory. The one who knows what it's like to be human. I cry out, I lie down, and I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not gonna be afraid. This is maybe one of the most powerful parts of this song and of our faith song. How do we get fear out of our life? The scripture in the New Testament says there's only one way fear exits. And it's when love enters. Perfect love drives out fear. 
It's the only way. In that fear, you know, you talked about this already, but I'm not saying like not reverence and things like that, but I'm saying that fear that keeps us pretending, that keeps us pleasing, that keeps us like robots, that keeps us from feeling, that keeps us from our own humanity, that keeps us from getting to that place where you're like, ah, I can release over to God these things that I need to release. I can trust him with my whole life. As broken and as messed up as it is, I can trust him. I can release myself into the love of God. And when you can do that, you then begin to feel fear leave your body. David has no idea if this is gonna work out or not, this situation. As a matter of fact, from his vantage point, this is probably gonna be the end of his kingdom. This is gonna be the way that he ends. It's embarrassing on many, many levels. It very well could have been. It actually should have been the way David ended. He doesn't know. He's not not afraid because he's like, okay, now God's gonna do it, what I want. The consequences of this might actually fully be fulfilled. David's not afraid because there's somebody with him. Because he's not alone. Because no matter how these consequences end, he's with God right where he needs to be. There's a presence and a felt presence of God in the midst of his circumstances that drive fear out of his life. And now he no longer has to let fear lead him. This changes everything in our lives, by the way. I remember reading a powerful moment in the life of Martin Luther King Jr. He wrote a book of sermons called Strength to Love that I read every year. They're just filled, I'm still learning, amazing strength that he had to love. And one of the situations he talks about that was the defining moment in his own life is when he's in his house and it had already been, they'd already found a bomb and he was getting all these threats against his life and his family and he was in the kitchen. He said they had settled back into the house and he got this phone call. And when he picked up the phone, the phone call was some vile person threatening him one more time to kill his family. And he hung up the phone and he said, I was shaken. I was shaken and I was afraid. And he said, I cried out from my kitchen. I said to God, I don't know what to do. Like I'm a dad, like I'm a husband. I don't, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And he said, I sat down in the chair while the kettle was on. And he said, as I cried out to God, I felt God. I felt the presence of God. And he describes it like this, a peace, a peace. And I heard the spirit say to me, Martin, I'm with you right here, it's gonna be okay. When he describes it, he doesn't say, I felt the threat leave. He doesn't say like, it, it was a promise of God never to have any harm. He just felt the presence of God in the middle of what was one of the worst times of his life. And he knew that he knew that he knew that he was in the center place with God and that was enough. If you allow fear to dictate your decisions, it will either make you an oppressor or it'll make you oppressed. Fear is the currency of oppression. You can read this all the way through the Bible. You can start at Pharaoh. It says Pharaoh oppressed the Israelites because he was afraid of them. Fear will make you oppressed or it will cause you to become an oppressor because fear drives oppression. But to have this presence of God, to know that you no longer have to be afraid because God is with you, that is to be liberated from fear, internally and externally, and it can change some things about your life. 
I no longer have to be afraid. Years ago, I went to see a movie with my husband, um, Hercules, <laughs> the one with Dwayne Johnson, which if you, if you don't judge me, if there ever was gonna be a God man, <laughs> he might be it, right? I wasn't the one who said that either. It was my husband. Like, he's just like sat there the whole time going, how did he get those traps? You know what I mean? Like, how is that humanly possible? But we're sitting there and that the idea of the movie, of course, is that Hercules, um, he's half God, but it's just a myth that he created so they could get lots of money, right? Being a a mercenary. And, um, And how he keeps up this myth is he has this secret team of people. So he goes in to do something that no man can do alone unless they're like super. And his team enters stage left, you know, from the back. And they defeat this thing, whatever it is, seven-headed monster, and he comes out with all the heads of the monster. Ha ha, the great and mighty uh, Hercules with his red cape flying, his sword drawn. You know, there's no one like Hercules. And his team just exits like stage left. And they're in the middle of this uh, battle scene, and Hercules is at the front. He's fighting, and he he gets uh, cut by a sword, by an enemy sword. There's like blood on his shoulder. And the, 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 the captain of his secret team sees it happening. And he goes, it's like slow motion in the movie. He goes all the way through the front line of the battle to get to Hercules. And he gets to Hercules. He gets off of his horse. And he, and he, and he takes his cape and he covers his shoulder. And he whispers in Hercules' ear, never let them see you bleed. And I'm sitting in this theater. This moment happens. And literally the screen just goes blank for me. And all of a sudden I see Jesus on the cross, bleeding everywhere. And I I feel the spirit of God just say to me in the moment, you can be like Hercules, or you could be like Jesus. But you you can't be both. And I, I saw this even trajectory, you know, Hercules' life, which is so much in keeping with the way we're told to live our lives, is this path of ascension. Always proving better, I'm better than anybody else. Always pleasing. You're gonna want me on your team. Always trying to prove we're more worthy or we're better or we're greater than. And then there's Jesus. Philippians, it says, even though he was God, he, he didn't consider equality with God something to grab. Literally, the word is to grasp, to hang on to, but he willingly let let it go and he descends. I mean, literally, if there was a motto in Jesus' life, it's how low can he go? He just keeps going and doesn't even mind because he's not afraid. He's not afraid to be human. He's not even ashamed of it. He loves his humanity. It's the one way he introduces himself all the time, consistently. I am Jesus. He says the only term he uses about himself in the scripture, you can read this, is I'm Jesus, the son of man. And son of man is literally translated the human one. Jesus is going around going, hi, I'm Jesus. I'm human. Jesus, human. We're all going around going, I'm human, but like I'm a bit better than all the other humans. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid to be real? Why are you so afraid to cry out, to relax into, to let love hold you and let fear leave you? So whatever comes, you have this song of faith and hope and love that is eternal and that you're singing with your very life. 
I want to lead you in a prayer that I use every day so that I make a choice. I actually make a decision, which I think faith is active. Amen? It's not a decision I made 25 years ago. It's a decision I make today to cry out, to lie down, to not be afraid every day as I let Jesus lead me and shape me, as I let Jesus come to me in my own places of fear and self-loathing, as I get more and more and more real, I get more and more and more of God. And this invitation is an invitation that is also for you. So I'm gonna invite you to stand if you would. And if you wanna repeat after me, you can. This is a posture prayer. I use my whole body because we're human and we have bodies. God cares about that. God's part of that. God loves that. And I do this uh, little posture prayer to help me set my sights on following Jesus for, for today. If you wanna repeat after me, you're more than welcome to. So first I just hold my hands up like this and I, I make this confession. I confess. My natural human posture is to defend myself, is to protect, is to fight, is to force it. But I choose as a follower of Jesus to open my hands in a posture of surrender. I give over to the love of God. You can have all there is of me, all the mess I made, all the brokenness I didn't, all the circumstances of my life. It's all yours, God. And then I hold my hands out in front of me like this in fists, and I make this confession. I confess my natural human posture is to take, to grab, to grasp, to hang on, to not let go, but I choose as a follower of Jesus to open my hands and my life in a posture of generosity. Freely I receive, I let go, I relax into everything I need today. And the final posture is to cross my arms like this and I make this confession. I confess, I confess. my natural human posture, natural human posture. Is, to is to spectate, to critique, to, critique. to stand at a distance. Stand at a distance. Not, my problem. Not my problem, but I choose, but I choose. As, a of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus to open my posture in my life, my in, my life. in a posture of mission. And I say to others, broken, lost, left, lonely, on the far side of the world, and those closest to me. Here I am, and you're welcome. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.